As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul. He is Paul Tenorio, and we have a ratified CBA brought to you this week by the Peter Francis Stracy Law Firm. Because as long as we have a CBA, let's talk about lawyers, Peter Francis Stracy. Paul, your thoughts? Wow. We're getting real <laughs> Chicago local with, uh, with the people that are sponsoring you, Sam. Uh, and a real look into how Sam's brain works. Um, <laughs> You know, Sorry. I think that we've we've gotten to this point now where you and I both feel, I think, a little bit goofy right now just from having covered so many CBA negotiations over the last 12 months. I actually look at the fact that this CBA is going to run for another seven years as a positive, that I might not have to do this again for a while. Um, Haven't I told you not to say that? Force majeure is still in there, Paul. They could invoke it again next year in theory. Yeah, but at that point in time, I'll just let you handle the whole story and I just won't. I just won't touch it. <laughs> At so. that point in time, I'll be living on an island with no internet access. So, enjoy. I think we we both can look at it and say the owners got exactly what they wanted here, right? They they wanted the two year extension. It was the most important thing that was on the table, and and they got it. And in exchange, the players got what they wanted, which was no pay cut in twenty twenty one, and they got a few small givebacks from the owners that, um, you know, they're not unsubstantial right they're they, meaningful they, they're yeah. meaningful the free free agency goes from 24 and 5 to 24 and 4 beginning in 2026 they they saw some uh, movement in the, the the cap on free agent earnings going up they saw a little bit of movement in increase in um, available spending um, in some of the years of the terms of the cba again not nothing but i i think you and i can both sit back and say you know, the owners are coming out of these talks much happier than the players are. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we we wrote an article on this that will hopefully be going up soon as we sit here recording on Monday afternoon. Um, but basically, the union was playing defense in this round of negotiations, right? In a normal CBA, like the one we saw last February that isn't being negotiated because of a force majeure clause, the union would be pushing for gains, Right. And in this, and in this case, and as was the case in June when we did this for the, I guess, second time out of three, uh, it's the league that is trying to claw things back 
and the union is trying to kind of limit the damage, so to speak. Um, and so they were always going to take some hits. Uh, the two-year one is a substantial hit. That That's no joke. You know, we've talked about it a lot on this show, uh, but that pushes it back uh, to almost a year and a half after the end of the 2026 World Cup. So you're way past that World Cup bump. Um, and who knows what the TV deal situation is going to be at that point. Basically, it's just a lot of time for the league to grow without having to come back to the table and give some of that growth to players, right? And Paul, we were just talking about this before the show. The initial CBA last February that was agreed to ran through 2024. It now runs through 2027. They've almost doubled the length of this thing over these last two rounds of modifications. Uh, it's really substantial, and a lot of the players in the league now are pretty locked in. I shouldn't say locked in. They're at the league's discretion in terms of gains at this point. Um, you know, the, the system isn't going to change unless the league and the owners want it to, right? And uh, while that's there's an element of truth to that, even regardless of the length of the CBA, it's even more true now that it's extended through 2027. And we should say that, you know, the league has historically taken advantage of those moments by putting in discretionary pots of money that they can spend at their disposal. We should note that in the last or two rounds ago of negotiations last February, that the league or sorry, the union did put in some protections against that, um, that any discretionary funding that started to come in after 2021 season going into 2022 that they would have to put at least 40% of whatever discretionary funds would have to go in um, as GAM or salary budget. That's obviously been pushed back um, along with the, every other term of the CBA um, twice now over the life of the CBA. But there are some protections in there to try to give the majority of the player pool at least a piece of the action. But to your point, you know the owners now are controlling um, exactly how we're going to see those gains. And I think we should anticipate that we'll see some growth in spending over the life of the CBA beyond what's in um, the actual terms of the CBA because of the 2026 World Cup and trying to set up um, the league as best it can for that year going into the World Cup and coming out of the World Cup. Um, and, you know, the owners are going to control that momentum. They're going to control how they best use it. And um, it'll be a while before the players are back at the table. Hopefully, again, it'll be a while before they're back at the table. Uh, we will see if there are any future force majeure invocations, um, but I think we are all hoping that there will not be. Paul, one of the things that I wanted to talk about here a little bit is just kind of the overall dynamic. You know, there was a lot of talk this time that the players were going to stand their ground, right? They came out really strongly in December, even before force majeure was invoked, I believe it was before MLS Cup, and basically said invoking force majeure would be a huge mistake. Um, you know, the league is is running a big risk if it does it. Like basically saying we're not happy, and if you do this, we're going to be more even more unhappy. Um, and at the end of the day, the league got the headline item it wanted, and the players got the headline item they wanted too. Right? I don't want to minimize that. Um, and that's maintaining the pay for 2021. But they got what they wanted. And, you know, you and I both heard talk over the course of negotiations from from different sources, basically being like, ah, oh, the players, they're not going to go past 26. Right? You said it on the show that you thought they would draw a line and that there would be a lockout. Um, obviously, it didn't end up that way. And it's just sort of, it's illustrative, right, of the kind of power dynamics at play here. MLS owners obviously have more leverage than the players. They make a lot more money. MLS players make more money now than they ever have before. 
Um, but a lot of them still live month to month and can't afford to miss paychecks for potentially a lockout, maybe three, four months, maybe one month, who knows, right? Um, they can't afford that. And, and that, I think at the end of the day, is what drove the steal. And that's why we're here right now. And it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, we we did like a quick headline thing on The Athletic in the wake of the news today. And one of the commenters on that on that piece was basically like the full power of the union will never be realized until the union withholds its labor. And while I certainly don't begrudge the players from not withholding their labor, you know, this is this is my paycheck at stake, right? So more power to them for doing what they chose to do. Um, that comment has a lot of truth to it. And I wonder if we're ever going to get to a point or how long it will take for the players to, to withhold their labor. Um, any thoughts on that, Paul? Well, yeah. I mean, I guess the first thing I should say is that I, I mentioned to a couple different people on the weekend that I was a little bit embarrassed that I kind of bought into what we were hearing, you know, which is that the players were going to hold firm and that, you know, they were going to hold the line and, and that this was right. maybe the moment where we saw, we saw how, um, you know, how far the, the, the power of the players could go and what, what would happen when the owners were forced with a, a work stoppage and, and seeing the impact that that can have on leagues. Work stoppages aren't good for the bottom line of owners. They, you know, the NHL took a long time to come back, um, from its, what was it, a lockout or a strike? So, you know, clearly there, it's very difficult to get 700 plus players on the same page of what the best thing is to do. Um, all of these players are coming from different backgrounds. Their lives in this league are, are, are all going to be on different timelines. Um, and so when you're measuring the short term gains and the long term gains or losses, it's going to be difficult to get everybody to understand that, hey, sometimes you need to take a short-term pain in order to do something that's better for the players in the long in the long haul, in the long run of things, and that it could be a generational change that occurs. Um, but, you know, again, I think that the the players have a very difficult decision to make. You know, more than a quarter of them in 2019 made less than $80,000 a year. Okay. So that's not like these guys are rolling in the dough. They've got mortgages. They've got rent. Um, you know, they, they've got they've kids, got kids and wives. They've got, they've got things, yeah. bills that they got to worry about. And so when you start talking about losing four paychecks or six paychecks in the middle of a pandemic, you know, it gets scary. It, it's scary to think about what could happen. Um, so I don't I don't blame them, but I do I do agree with that commenter in that you know the power dynamic is what it is. I think partly because the owners don't believe that the players will ever ever hold firm, will ever strike, or in this case, hold hold the line and force a lockout. Yeah, uh, they certainly I don't think believe it yet. I think that's why they were comfortable threatening the lockout that they did. Right? It was a good negotiating play at the end because it got them what they wanted. Um, and I think that's the other part of this here is the league was really shrewd with with what it offered the players, with how it presented it. That's something that we've, we've been talking about here for, goodness, a month now. Uh, <laughs> it's been a full month, Paul, over that, actually. Um, so the league was really shrewd. Um, you know, it's like, hey, here's this little carrot. You get to keep your salary in 2021, and then we'll hit you with the stick in 2026 and 2027 when... If we're being honest, most of the players in the union right now will not be in the league, right? So it won't affect them directly. And and maybe some of them are looking out 
for the future generations. But a lot of them, you know, and again, I don't necessarily blame them for this. A lot of them are just worried about their own right now, which is totally fine. So shrewd offer from the league from a strategic standpoint, for sure. Um, we talked about some of the other reasons with PR hits and lack thereof potentially. Um, but that, that the lockout threat was probably made. But to me, all of this had kind of a sense of inevitability about it. You know, there were some moments when I think both of us, it wasn't just you. I think both of us believed a little bit more that there could be a stoppage. Um, but at the end of the day, this played out like a lot of other MLS labor negotiations have played out. Um, I do think the union is a little bit stronger now than it was in the past. Cause I don't think if this was like 2015, right. In 2015, you were talking about it earlier with the discretionary money that came in afterward in the form of TAM. You know, that was when the union really got hurt, I think, right there in those negotiations. They got, they got tamboozled, Paul. Um, <laughs> oh my God. That's pretty good, isn't it? On the fly, not bad. I wish it was on the fly. Um, I can't believe I haven't told that to you before, tamboozled. Anyway, <laughs> I, I lost my train of thought. Um, I, I do think that the, the givebacks that they got were more than they would have gotten in like 2015, for instance. Um, I don't think they got like completely walked over or anything in this, but the biggest item was the two-year extension and that one went to the league. And it's just it's like we've been saying, it's illustrative of the power dynamic. Um, so there's some, there's some news here I have. Uh, the league has confirmed the under-22 player initiative, Paul, officially. Um, so young money is a thing. Sound young the alarms, money, baby. Money, cash, Sound money. the alarms, producer Taylor slash Joe, whichever one of you is doing the show. <laughs> um, and, and they've also released kind of the full info on player compensation for the new CBA. Um, so there's a bunch of, bunch of stuff on the league website at the moment, um, that we'll have in our article on the athletic as well. So please do go check that out. Um, it's going to be interesting. Like now, I'm sort of anticipating there being a decent number of, of significant player announcements now that this is all done. Did we, we, we talked about Cincinnati last show, but you know, it's kind of funny. Sao Paulo announced that move. Cincinnati, unless they, they have in the moment since we've started recording, have not yet announced that move. And it's just sort of like, well, you know, maybe, maybe they didn't want to do that for the optics. Um, so I, I, now that this is all sorted, I, I anticipate that there will be some more signings that follow. Um, so that's going to be interesting. Um, but I'm just looking at it now and I'll give a couple of the headline numbers. Available spend on roster over the life of the CBA. In 2021, it's 9.225 million. And in the final year of the deal, it's 13.013 million. So an increase of less than 4 million over seven seasons. So really not that substantial. Um, now there are ways to go above those numbers in terms of transfer fees and DPs and young money players. Um, well, also, so it's not like it's just limited, but you know, that, that's kind of the ballpark we're dealing with here. Well, we should also note that the revenue share plays an important part of any discussion about mm -hmm. these seven years. So once you get to 2024 or 2023, when the new TV deal kicks in, Anything that's over $100 million of gain over the last CBA deal, I believe this is the, the way it's, it's very confusing. But at that point, after <laughs> you pass that $100 million mark, there will be a share of that revenue that the players will get 
a hold of. It's 12.5% for 2023 and 2024. 12.5% 20. of every dollar over $100 million, I believe. Right. Correct. And it used to be 25%. This is one place that the players gave money back to the owners over the course of the last two negotiations. Um, and then it'll jump up to 25% in 25, 26, and 27. So the hope is that if they sign a big enough TV deal that you'll see you know, potentially a couple million dollars added into the budget um, for players as well. But that is pending this media rights deal that the league um, still has to negotiate and sign. Um, and, you know, we'd have to see substantial, really substantial increases to that deal for players to get a, a real cut of it. Um, but it does factor in here. And I, I think, Sam, you know, the point holds, though, when you look at the gains over time, especially because they got pushed back, you know, no one's really wowing at the fact that in 2027, the total available roster spend will be $13 million, not counting discretionary funds used. Um, overall, not a very impressive number. The salary budget will be $7 million. Um, GAM will be nearly $4 million, discretionary it? TAM $2 million. <laughs> So, you know, it, we're not at the point yet where we're talking about real jumps Pending that revenue share, no, pending it's that incremental growth, it is still that incremental growth that the league loves so much. Slow and steady, maybe wins the race. I don't know. It at least keeps you running. That much we know from MLS's history and kind of the story of MLS over the years. But for the league to, to take the jumps it says it wants to take, I think they'll need to to change this. And I think personally, they'll need to change the entire structure. Um, will that happen? <laughs> unlikely. Um, but who knows? A lot of, a lot of things are unlikely that end up happening. So may maybe we'll be surprised at some point down the road. Um, I'm not really going to hold my breath on that front though. Much more labor negotiation chat still to come from Paul and Sam, but first a word from today's sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. 
Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Um, Paul, I feel like we've been living in this CBA world forever, and my brain is totally fried on it. Is there anything that that stands out to you as, as sort of flown under the radar or even not under the radar, but like a big overarching point that, that's been lost by focusing on the micro so much? Yeah, that's a heavy question. I I think really what what we see is just how far this league still has to go. Um, you know, when we talk about the median salary of major league soccer players being $180,000 as of 2019, so we can say incrementally higher than that, but still under $200,000, most likely. Um, when we talk about, you know, a salary cap of $7 million and a total all in spend of 13 million, not counting DPs and in young money, um, it just shows still how much progress needs to be made in terms of investment in players. Um, I do think we'll see that start to change over the life of the CBA. Um, but for me, when I step back, it just reminds me of of how far, how much growth is still there for Major League Soccer and how far it needs to go to truly be competitive with a league like even League MMX. You know, if we're going to talk about this league, you know, becoming a true player in global football, as they want to do and being a real top 10 league as they've you know said that they want to be 
you know, they need to become top five. Paul. Yeah, they, they need to be top five. They need to be the best in CONCACAF. And if they want to be the best in CONCACAF, when I look at this, you know, the the amount of spending needs to go up. The quality of player needs to go up. And I'm not sure that the answer is in buying players who are 21 or younger or 22 and younger. I'm not sure if it's a, I, I, I get that it's not necessarily just increasing the salary budget and play, paying kind of middle of the road MLS guys more. Um, but I think there need to be, as you said, some fundamental changes to how teams are able to build their rosters, the freedom with which they're able to build and when I when I look over at the the kind of the smaller points that these two sides are arguing over and fighting over and negotiating over, I'm like, man, these are these are these little bullet points that just show me, you know, how much more yeah. we still have to go to 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 seriously talk about Major League Soccer as as influential in in the sport that we cover. Yeah. I agree completely. And I think the way the league is structured now, it, it protects the league from itself, protects the teams from themselves, um, but it also limits the ceiling. And uh, just as importantly, in my opinion, it, it makes the money that it does, that the teams do spend become inefficient, right? They're not getting as much bang for their buck as they could. They're not getting great value um, for, their, for the amount of money that they spend. Um, and there's no real way to change that under the current structure because you have all these different buckets, right? TAM and GAM and DPs and young money and young designated players, and special discovery players and, you know, waiver, God knows what else, you know, I'm forgetting a million of them, right? Yeah. Homegrown <laughs> um, TAM and homegrown. You know. Yeah. And, it, and it's just like, if you just gave teams said, okay, you can spend this much money, $20 million and you have to spend at least 10 and you can go over like you can have two, three players that don't count towards that, right? Or only the first X counts towards that. Then I think all of this could just be done a lot more efficiently. I don't think, I understand the instinct from MLS, but I don't think they need to be in a place where they're protecting teams from themselves so much anymore. Let these people go out and make their risks, take their risks, right? Let them go out and do what they want. Um, and I think some teams will sink, Right. But I don't think they'll get to the point where they're sinking all the way. <laughs> and others, I think, will will be able to swim that much faster. Um, so hopefully we can get there one and, day. And but. Sam, quickly, let's just look at the results of that. Within this really difficult to navigate system that really limits how you spend your money and where you spend your money, teams are already taking as much of the liberty as they can take to do things differently. You know, the way Philadelphia runs its business and FC Dallas runs its soccer business and the way Minnesota United runs it is totally different. And Minnesota United had a very good season focusing their spending on the first team. And Philadelphia had a very good season investing most of their money in the academy. And now Philadelphia has sold some players and they're going to take that game and they're going to be able to use more of it into their first team. And, you know, that hopefully will be something that it becomes kind of a self-perpetuating system, right? Same with FC Dallas. You know, Minnesota United, they're not going to have that opportunity, but, you know, they can keep taking that 2 or $3 million that would be, you know, in Philadelphia put into the academy and they can say, no, we're going to use this as young money or we're going to use this for another DP. Right. And, you know, now imagine that you, you take those restrictions off and you can build the entire business around however the heck you want to build it, right? And you don't need to worry about three DPs or, you know, X amount of TAM money that you've got left. And, you know, you can start to strategize across a number of years 
And I, I just think that, again, we're seeing already MLS teams trying their best to run things as as their own entities, the way that they want to, be to distinct. do things. And, yeah, to have an yeah. identity. And to, to fit what the owner wants, to fit what the market dictates. And Jesse Marsh talked about it in your piece. Not every MLS team should have an academy if they don't want to have one. I would have fought that heavily three years ago if someone had said that to me. But I, I agree now. If Minnesota wants to send out their academy to all the local clubs and not spend the money there, fine. If Portland says, look, it's not worth it for us to spend $2 million a year on the academy, okay. As long as you're putting that money into the product and your teams are are making a, a go at it, right? It's better than mm-hmm. you know having these kind of budgets that make it seem like you're trying when you're not really trying. And yeah, I mean, I would say I would say it's maybe depending on your point of view, it might even be better than what Dallas is doing, right? Where they put all this money into the academy, but they don't put it into the first team and they have good academy results and they win every national championship and they sell academy kids to big European teams and they have great outcomes in that way, but they don't actually win anything, you know? Um, so <laughs> I don't know. It's all a matter of perspective. At the end of the day, I think increased kind of diversity maybe is the word. Um, not in the traditional sense, but, um, the, the, the more teams that have distinct identities, I think the better it will be for MLS. Um, and I think the better it'll be for those clubs. I think fans like that stuff. I think they latch onto it and I think they respond to it. And Sam, I'm going to declare something right now because if we are lucky enough and it seems like we're lucky enough to be moving on from this being a labor I was going to say, we, we stopped pod, talking about podcast. the CBA a lot. <laughs> yeah, so like this <laughs> we, is we no got longer the this. foremost podcast on labor, labor law. Um, labor, labor relations. In soccer, in soccer <laughs> leagues in the United States. Um, but I will tell you the thing I'm going to continue to harp on this year and every year until it's changed is the lack of transparency in Major League Soccer that still exists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of not just outside of Major League Soccer for the media and the fans to know how a team is spending but its money and where, yeah. but internally. Teams have no idea what the other teams are doing. And this is, by the way, this is not the way other professional sports leagues are run. There are internal systems in the other leagues where you can see what the average salary is for a player at X position at, at different ages, what what another team's salary budget looked like, how much space they have. Mm-hmm. And we as the public can go to spot rack and we can see what an NFL team's budget looks like or what a Major League Baseball team looks like. And MLS is so far behind on it. And part of the reason they're behind on it is, frankly, look, unlike those leagues, MLS still has flexibility built into their rules, Right. The league can help a team fix something in the middle of a year, can look the other way on a rule. It can. It, it, and fine. It does that for a reason. That's how Paul, it's what are you operated. Saying? What kind of accusations are you making? I'm just saying that that's part of the reason. They can't go public because if the numbers don't add up and we ask a question about it, then they have if to If they go public, then they can't make oh. stuff up on the fly. Right. Exactly. So there are but, – but that is such an important part of driving this league forward. You know, we, our conversations are limited to how we can talk about a team. When we talk about something like the identity of a team and how they spend, how they've used their allocation money, how they've used their, their I mean, TAM, you, you can't really evaluate an owner, a team, um, a GM because you don't have the information. And yeah. it's so far behind the rest of the leagues in this country. And it limits the conversation around a, a, a league that shouldn't be limiting any conversation around it. The more conversation that we can have about MLS is is better for MLS. <laughs> they have to understand that. Paul is gesticulating so this, wildly right now. I, I am the hands are flying about it. I'm fired up. I have something new 
to talk about on this podcast all the time behind besides CBA, and it's going to be transparency. Oh man, this we is did, now we the did not plan any podcast. of this. No, this is transparency podcast brought to you by Peter Francis Tracy. Um, <laughs> on that note, I think we'll take a quick short break and then we'll come back uh, and finish up CBA talk forever, perhaps, uh, and, and talk about a few other topics as well. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back. Thanks for bearing with us there. One quick note on transparency that I wanted to add to, to Paul's impassioned plea for more transparency. Um, you know, we were going over the CBA numbers earlier. Paul and I were going over them before we started recording and saying, oh, the budget is $7 million this year, $6 million, whatever. We're just going through the year by year. And, and I said, I think I said to you, Paul, I was like, no, this doesn't even matter because we don't even know how teams are using this stuff. So why do they even bother telling us? Like, who cares what the gam breakdown is? It's just all guesswork. And in a sports world where the transaction is equal to, or in some cases greater than, the actual action on the field itself, the fact that MLS is inhibiting it, it, it's inhibiting that discussion is crazy. Uh, hopefully they can move that forward. We'll see. Um, I think you know, you mentioned some of the reasons why. I think part of it is just like MLS doesn't have the staff that these other leagues do. And, and formalizing this and, and creating this database, it, it's a lot of work. Um, and then making it public and making sure the public figures are accurate, again, a lot of work. So, and I get why there are higher priority items that these people need to take care of. Um, but hopefully we can, we can sort of see a strategic shift there. Um, and then you mentioned the other part. It's, you know... It allows them to shift on the fly. It allows people in the league office maybe to hold on to power, kind of control things as well, um, if they want to. So I think there are a lot of elements to play, but I think it would be really, it's a pretty easy thing and it would be for the good of the league if they actually just increased it more. Yeah, I mean, there are companies that do this for baseball that have contracts with baseball, with hockey, with with NFL. Uh, you know, MLS doesn't need crowd, to hire should, that same Should we crowdsource company. it? But there are people, are there, are, there are programmers who can build it, <laughs> who can build their own system. It's not, anyways, that's not the point. We're not going to go into that right now. I do have a question for you, Sam. Now that this is no longer the foremost podcast on soccer labor relations. I mean, um, we still are the foremost podcast on labor relations. That if I end. have to talk about labor relations in any future podcast this year, no, I'm going this, to. That title is in perpetuity. It remains forever. Barring conditions of a force Missouri clause being met. Yes. Well, of course. Anyway, beyond now we are beyond the CBA talk in this episode, at least. Sam, what are you most looking forward to in 2021 for MLS? Wow. And not New Who. I was not, not New Who. I was not looking forward to you stealing my question. 
Oh, there's Lyle shaking his head in the background, flapping his ears around. This is going to be a weird answer. Uh, FC Cincinnati. We talked to them about them a lot on the last show. Uh, Brenner coming in, uh, that being official now. This is, I believe, the third biggest incoming transfer fee in Major League Soccer history. This is a massive, massive signing. And Gerard Nijkamp and Yop Stam, the GM and the head coach in Cincy, are really sticking their necks out here, right? And this is not all about, like, I think, especially us on this show, we tend to frame transfer fees in the context of, are they going to be able to sell this player on, particularly when it's a young player? And are they going to be able to make profit? I don't think that's purely the move here for Cincinnati. I think that's a big part of it, but they're also opening a new stadium this year. They've also been dreadful for the last two seasons. Absolutely miserable. So they need some more talent straight up. Um, so I think there are a lot of different factors at play here um, beyond just resale value. Um, but it's going to be really, really interesting making a move of this magnitude, it ratchets the pressure up on everyone. And I'm curious to see how this kid handles it, how the signing handles it. And I'm curious to see how Nykamp and, and Yop's Town handle it. Not that they can't handle the pressure, right? But how the club handles it if there are some poor results or if Brenner doesn't maybe get off to a hot start, what happens then? So I'm really interested in FC Cincinnati of all teams. And that is a sentence that... If you told me I was going to be saying uh, like a week ago, I would have uh, I would have laughed in your face heartily. Um, but here we are. Expect the unexpected. What about you, Paul? What are you most interested by? I think what I'm most interested in is is how teams use the young money. Um, every team is going to have a different approach to it. We're going to see some teams like Cincinnati taking full advantage of uh, no limitations on transfer fees. We don't know if he'll be a young DP or young money, but the idea is the same. He's under 22 years old. You're spending a good amount of money. And I think if you look at the history of Major League Soccer, there are not a lot of players who are signed under the age of 22 who come in and have an effect right away. Um, certainly, we've seen big money signings like Ezekiel Barco fail to live up to the expectation and the hype that gets put upon them. Look at look at Miami, two young players there who, who failed to live up to the expectation. And part of that is simply because of the reputation that comes with being a DP or for being a high money acquisition. And for a lot of these players, it's their first time leaving South America. Um, I, I, I can't remember the name of the player. DC United had a young player um, a while back, a, a ways back. You know, it was his first time ever leaving uh, his town. And he got on a plane and went to Washington, D.C. So Chris Corb, I believe. You're yeah, I don't of. think it was Chris Corb. So <laughs> there, it's going to be, you know, I think it's a risk for Major League Soccer in that it, it's a lot harder to hit on these players. And I'm coming from a place where I've brought this up on this show before. I covered Orlando City in 2015. You know, they went and signed two young DPs right off the bat, Carlos Rivas and Brian Rochez. Those those players were signed at a much lower money level than than a Barco, for example, or even um, you know even a normal level DP. These were a million and a half, two million dollar investments. Carlos Rivas had ten goals in the Colombian first division coming to Orlando City. There were high expectations around both of those players, and you know neither of them were able to meet that hype. And so I'm incredibly interested to see if targeting this spend on young players with the hope and the intention that these players are then sold on for more money is going to make things a little bit more difficult um, for these MLS teams to get 
out of their investment, what they're putting into it. Um, I hope, I hope that we see the level of the league go up and that we see a lot of good young players coming into MLS and that it's beneficial for the homegrown players who are training with better players and have more competition, that it's better for the product on the field. But I think it's going to be, you know, certainly in the first few transfer windows, a difficult road and, and I'll be keeping an eye on kind of how it works. Yeah, I think it'll be difficult the entire time just because of the age of these kids. Some are going to hit, some are not. Um, and there's going to be a lot of money kind of thrown down the drain on speculative plays. And I think owners are really into the idea now, right? Uh, because everyone, everyone you buy for 10, 13 million, well, you're going to sell him for 20, right? It's guaranteed profits. You're printing money. It's not going to work like that. Right. So I'm curious to see what happens when there are misses and those start to stack up. If that really shapes. Um, maybe policy going forward and maybe they'll rejigger things again. I, I was trying to think while you were talking about um, young players coming to the league and booms and busts and guys that have hit and guys that haven't. I feel like Fabian Castillo is one of the success stories in this. And he came at the age of 19 and I, if, I don't have the stats in front of me, but um, it's FC Dallas 2011. I don't think he did a ton that first year, but I can't remember exactly. So even with some of these guys, you know, they're going to be quiet for a year, maybe two, and then maybe they'll burst onto the scene in year two or three. Um, so it's going to be interesting. It's going to require some patience. Um, but I think to our point earlier, it's going to increase the kind of distinct models that we see. And I think that'll be cool. Yeah. I mean, how we talk about U22 players, um, it's going to be tough for the league to balance because you want to promote the spending. You want to promote the aggressiveness that's happening. We have people that we know and trust in the league who believes that this could be a real game changer, that this could be um, a, a really important... Well, it could be if, if it's yeah, done if right. it's done right. But you yeah. also have to preach caution, right? So it's like, on one hand, you want to publicize this big new spending venture. On the other hand, these some of these players, to your point, are going to need time. Fabian Castillo had two goals and three assists in his first season with Dallas as an 18-year-old winger. Not bad, but it's not like he was what he was four years later when he had 10 goals and four assists. Um, it took him some time to become the the kind of Fabi Castillo that we think about uh, when we talk about him in FC Dallas. And so, you know, there, there's going to have to be some of that understanding. And And I think what bugs me about this pot of money is that you know, you can still make money. I mean, Miguel Amiron was 23 going on 24 when he signed for Atlanta United, eight and a half million dollar signing. And he was sold for much more than that to Newcastle. And, you know, he wasn't a bad investment at 23, 24, but Atlanta certainly knew more about him. They knew more of what they were going to get. He had played more mm -hmm. professional seasons. He had produced more on that level. You know, even somebody like Barco, who was producing in Argentina. Yeah, in huge games, In, in by huge the way. games, stepping up, taking a penalty kick. In a final, a continental final, you know, that was one season that they saw what he could do. But it, sometimes you need to see more than that. And sometimes you need to factor in what it's like for a young player to have a lot of money and be in a different country. So all I'm saying is I'm excited. Again, I think it's a great thing that whenever MLS is spending more money, that's a positive. That's fantastic. Put the investment down. I just wish that it was in more places than just this one and and because of these reasons, I just think it's going to take some time um, for for teams to learn how to invest this money, how to best invest it, um, and and how to manage expectations around these players. And it's going to be different too, man. If you're a young player, like going to a team like FC Cincinnati, they don't have the time to not hype you up. 
They've got to put up right. Twitter posts with Brazilian steakhouse meat on it. Even if that Twitter post has to <laughs> Brazilian steakhouse meat, <laughs> even if that steakhouse meat has to hang on Twitter for four or five days before the official announcement, because it came in the middle of a CBA negotiation, you know, they don't have the time to say, Hey, let's give this kid some time and some patience. Let him adapt to the country. No, he's got to go in, become the number nine and start scoring right away for FC Cincinnati. You know, he wouldn't have to do that if he was signing in Seattle, for example, because you have Rui Diaz there. So these are all just the different factors that are going to be at play with this new pot of money. It's super intriguing. It's super interesting. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch and keep track of and to write about. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be, you know, the 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 main thing that we talk about as far as incoming players into MLS for the next three or four transfer windows, at least. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be fascinating to follow. Also going to be fascinating to follow. And, you know, I think we can and maybe maybe close out the show on this note. Um, Inner Miami linked with Ryan Shawcross, 33-year-old defender from Stoke City. Um, I think, I think you know, uh, I think we called this on a previous show that, that Inner Miami was just going to be going after like older League One and championship players and bringing them over on decent-sized contracts and that's what they were going to build their MLS team around. Um, maybe we spoke that into existence. So we'll see if they get this shot cross deal across the line. Shot I mean, across look, the I line. Mean, you, you hold the, <laughs> first of all, the best headline was that it was like inner Miami going to sign ex England captain. And then it was shot cross. Um, just well, that's like that's like writing. That's is that is that better or worse than when Aaron Long is referred to in the British press as USA captain? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. <laughs> it's not better or worse. It's the same. I would say it's worse. Um, I would say it's worse. <laughs> yeah. So, look, I think that um, he'll be held to a standard, a very high standard of Liam Ridgewell in his first few years in Portland. Liam Ridgewell was three years younger when he came to Portland, I'll note, and he came as a designated player. Uh, but he had and a was immediately years made in MLS, an all-star, so, um, by the way. You know, I think the all-star game was his first MLS game, maybe commissioner's pick yeah so um we'll see we'll see but uh certainly i'm interested to watch the road miami will now travel under the direction of phil neville and david beckham and chris henderson you know maybe chris henderson has some other uh moves up his sleeve to 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 go along with ryan shawcross we'll see yeah i think he's going for jolian lescott and uh (laughs) andy carroll that's what sources tell me anyway thank you so much for listening to allocation disorder Formerly the world's foremost labor relations podcast. Well, not formerly, in perpetuity, but we won't talk about that ever again. Um, thanks for bearing with us through these CBA talks. We know they're not the most exciting things. Uh, we're excited to get back to kind of our bread and butter uh, and talk more about MLS and roster building. And in a couple of months, what's happening on the field? Um, so thank you so much for listening. I'm Sam Stasekel. He's Paul Tenorio. This has been Allocation Disorder.